Children can be dismissed for Children's Church at this time if you haven't left already. Told myself because of my voice, just going to lay back and not sing out this morning. Couldn't help myself. I was still singing out. See how we do here this morning. Let's pray as we begin. We need the Lord. We need the Lord all the time. There's more times we recognize that and sense it. But even those times we don't sense it, guess what? We still need him. So let's call on the Lord as we come around his word. We certainly need him to guide us through this passage of scripture this morning. Uh, Let's speak to the Lord. God, thank you. Thank you for this passage of scripture that's in front of us here and, and communicating to us. Um, making yourself known to us through the writing of Paul. These are not Paul's words. They're your words through Paul. What we have here is exactly what you wanted here. And so to read these words is to hear your voice. To obey these words is to obey your authority. So God help us to pay attention well this morning to the Spirit and what He wants to say to our hearts, that we wouldn't miss it. We wouldn't worry about the people around us and what we think they need to hear. We'd worry about ourselves and say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Challenge us, I pray. Use me, your instrument, to do that for your glory, for your honor, for your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. There were two men, both seriously ill, who occupied the same small hospital room. One man was allowed to sit up in his bed for an hour each afternoon to help drain the fluid from his lungs. His bed was next to the room's only window. The other man had to spend all his time flat on his back. And so the men in the same room talked and talked for hours on end. And every afternoon when the man in the bed could sit up, he would pass the time by describing to his roommate all the things he could see outside his window. The man in the other bed began to live for those one-hour periods where his world would be broadened and enlivened by all the activity and color of the outside world as described by the man sitting up. He would say, I can see a park with a lovely lake. As he looked out the window, he would say, there are ducks and swans playing on the water while children sailed their model boats. Oh, lovers are walking arm in arm amid flowers of every color of the rainbow. He would go on. Grand old trees grace the landscape and a fine view of the city skyline can be seen in the distance. And as the man by the window described all this in exquisite detail, the man on the other side of the room would just close his eyes and imagine the picturesque scene. On one occasion, the man by the window described a parade passing by. 
And although the other man couldn't hear the band, he could see it in his mind's eye as the man by the window portrayed it with descriptive words. One day a thought entered his mind. Why should he have all the pleasure of seeing everything while I never get to see anything? It didn't seem fair. And as the thought fermented, the man felt ashamed at first, but as the days passed, he missed seeing more sights, and his envy eroded into resentment and, turned him, and soon turned him sour. He should be by that window, he thought to himself, and that thought controlled his life. One morning when the nurse came to check on the man by the window, she found him lifeless. He had passed away. As soon as it seemed appropriate, the other man asked if he could be moved to the other spot of the deceased by the window. The nurse made the switch and then left him alone. Slowly, Painfully, the man propped himself up on one elbow to take his first look out the window. Finally, he would have the joy of seeing it all himself. He strained to look out the window beside the bed, and as he looked out, you know what he saw? It faced a blank wall. Saw nothing. There was nothing. What if you were looking out the window at a blank wall? What would you see? I knew a woman who was blind most of her life of 80 years, who had returned from a foliage trip in New Hampshire and described to me with great joy in her heart the beauty of all the colors amidst the backdrop of the magnificent white mountains. She was blind. Yet when I think of joy, I can't but help think of Korah. You see, joy is not something delivered to us at our door each day, nor does it come through a window. It's a matter of perspective. It's an issue of attitude. It's a question of choice. Again, I remind you that no one or nothing can rob us of our joy without our consent. No one or nothing can rob us of our joy without our consent. That's the overarching truth found in this little book of Philippians. So turn with with me to the book of Philippians, to the passage Owen read earlier. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you that the writer of this letter of joy is the Apostle Paul. And I want to tell you a little bit about the Apostle Paul. His new life in Christ resulted in beatings, going without food, being shipwrecked, uh, being imprisoned. He was illegally arrested, misrepresented before the courts. And here he's writing this letter while in chains as a prisoner in Rome. And as we have seen so far, what Paul writes is not like one attending a pity party in honor of himself. On the contrary, he is like the man by the window, looking at a bleak, blank wall, but determined to see the unseen. For Paul, opportunity was on the other side of obstacle. As the familiar quote goes, we are all faced 
we are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. And when we can be convinced of this, loved ones, we are then the freest person in the world, free to love, free to rejoice, free to become the person God intended. The anomaly, the the oddity, is that what the world thinks should restrict us actually frees us to great accomplishments. That which, which Satan would like to think prevents the work of God from going forward actually advances it. And that's the clear message of this section of Scripture. The direction for this morning, the direction for this morning is how those chains we call obstacles can really be windows of opportunities. How those chains that we call obstacles can really be the windows of opportunities. So look with me at verse 12, at least the beginning of verse 12 of chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul begins by saying, now I want you to know. Now let's stop there for a minute. What does he want them to know? What might they wanted to know about Paul? Remember, they hadn't seen Paul or or heard from Paul in quite a while. We're, We're talking at least a couple of years. They had heard he'd been in prison, so they sent Epaphroditus from their church to go and check in on on Paul. And and as Epaphroditus leaves and and goes in and check on Paul, he gets sick. He doesn't return right off. They think he's going to die. And now they're experiencing the loss of two key leaders down. Well, Epaphroditus recovers. He he, he gets well, and he, he finally returns with this letter in his hand from Paul. He's reading this letter to them. They are hanging on his every word. He's reading it. They wanted to know, Paul, how you doing? They wanted to know, Paul, how's the imprisonment going? When is your trial? What are the circumstances like? Come on, Paul, tell us. And Paul provides them with no details of his imprisonment. This isn't what he wanted them to know. Now, I'll be honest. If I'm writing this letter, it would likely sound a lot different than what we have here. It would. I would want you to know about how miserable my circumstances. And you're the same way. You'd do the same, probably, many of you. Do you know why I can say that you probably would do the same? Because I'm on Facebook. (laughs) I read the posts. I put up the posts. What do we want others to know? My flight was delayed. My car won't start. I'm stuck in traffic. The waitress at the restaurant treated me poorly. I'm homesick with the flu. And I might even tell you how many trips I've made to the bathroom. Some of you do that. Here's Paul's post. This is what his status would say. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Not a trace of complaining, not a trace of self-pity. He could choose joy in spite of his circumstances. Why? Here's the reason. I'll give it to you in one word. 
passion. Paul was passionate about the advancing of the gospel. That dictated his priorities. That determined his perspective. Paul was passionate about the advancing of the gospel. That dictated his priorities. That determined his perspective. We look out the window and all we can see is the blank wall. Paul looks out the window and he saw the advancing of the gospel. He said, here's an opportunity. You see, viewing adverse circumstances from a divine perspective turns obstacles into opportunities. If the advancing of the gospel is our passion, it is our priority, then our perspective will be different even in the midst of suffering. Did you get that? If the advancing of the gospel is our passion and it is our priority, then our perspective will be different even in the midst of suffering. Let me say it this way. Here's your take home for today or some other things perhaps, but this is how I boiled it down to. Our passion for the advance of the gospel makes all the difference when we suffer trials. Our passion for the advance of the gospel makes all the difference. Makes all the difference when we suffer trials. The key word in this section is the word advance, which literally means to cut toward. The word advance or progress suggests something moving forward, but doing so against obstacles. The word advance would be used to describe an explorer or of an army advance team hacking a path through a dense trees and underbrush, moving ahead slowly and with considerable efforts. When everyone's saying, look at Paul, he's in chains. Ah, the work of God will now stop. One of the most influential men for the cause of Christ is silenced by chains. See, from all intents and purposes, what happened to Paul would bring the gospel to a halt. One of the big hitters in the advancement of the gospel was confined. I mean, this was a major blow. From a human perspective, this is a big obstacle. But Paul's suffering resulted in the gospel advancing. How? How? What opportunities were opened up by this obstacle? Here's my outline, three points. The gospel is advancing among his captors. The gospel is advancing among the church. And the gospel is advancing among the critics. The gospel is advancing among his captors. The gospel is advancing among his, the church. And the gospel is advancing among the critics. Those are the opportunities we are, that are opened up by this obstacle. So first of all, the gospel is advancing among his captors. Look with me at verse 13. Verse 13. As a result, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, what are Paul's specific circumstances here? He's serving a prison sentence in Rome and is most likely in the custody of the Praetorian Guard. These are elite troops housed in the emperor's palace. They are a specialized, hand-picked military group. They were Caesar's own bodyguards. They were strong. They were courageous. They were intimidating young men. And they served in the palace guard for 12 years, protecting Caesar and guarding the prisoners. And if you wanted to influence the Roman Empire, you couldn't pick a better group to start with. Every day for two years, 
One of them wore the other end of Paul's chain for a shift of at least four hours, more likely six hours. So for four hours or so, a guard had to stay within four feet of Paul. This we would call a captive audience. (laughs) He wasn't chained to them. They were chained to him. And as one soldier would end his shift, another would take his place. And Paul, who must have been grinning, going, yeah, new one, here we go. He would share Christ with this soldier. I knew a man who was so passionate about spreading the gospel, he was intentional about going around and picking up hitchhikers. He would pick them up. He'd give them a ride to where they needed to go. But he shared the gospel with them the whole way. Now, I figure some of them might have adjusted their destination a little bit once they got in the car. and said, you know what? Right here is fine. I'm good. Now, I'm not recommending this for your way of doing evangelism. But his passion is inspiring. In the same way, Paul was able to share with the guards who were with him day and night about the transforming grace of God. Four guards per day for two years. Do the math. That's around 3,000 witnessing opportunities with Rome's top military personnel. The result? Look at the end of the letter, chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 22. Look at chapter 4, verse 22. Paul says, we could miss this because it's the end of the book. We're going to go, oh, it's the end. We're done. Close the book. Listen to what he says. All the saints send you greetings. Okay, all the saints, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. How awesome is that? The gospel is advancing among his captors. Gospel had penetrated the heart and home of the empire. Paul is in chains. Paul is confined. Paul is restricted, but not the gospel in any way. This is why Paul could rejoice. Our passion for the advance of the gospel makes all the difference when we suffer trials. This is why we can choose joy when under fire. Every trying circumstance can be an opportunity which the transforming grace of God can be manifested in your life. So I ask you, do you feel chained to your circumstances right now? Do you feel chained to your financial situation? Do you feel chained to some adversity? Do you feel chained to a job you wish you didn't have? Do you feel chained to unemployment or chained to some physical limitation or chained to a restricted options and you go, I'm stuck? You might be saying, if only I can get past this season, I then, I then will make a difference for Christ. Don't wait. The opportunities of obstacles are right in front of you. Take one mom, for example. She had 19 children. Process that for a little bit. It was in the 1700s. So that was before microwaves, disposable diapers, and DVDs to keep the little ones occupied. Might she felt chained to her home? Might she wonder what difference she could make for eternity? 
Yet she allowed God to use her situation to raise children who would impact the world. At least two of her children are well known for making a difference in advancing the cause of Christ. Two of them we know about. John Wesley preached over 40,000 sermons to audiences estimated in the tens of thousands and opened up many clinics for the poor. Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 hymns, many of which are still sung today. John and Charles were leaders of the evangelical revival in the Church of England in the 18th century. Their influence also reached America in the spawning of the second largest Protestant denomination in the country. One mom's influence impacted many for Christ. What are the chains? What are the chains that you feel are preventing you from making a difference? What are the chains you feel are preventing you from advancing in your walk with the Lord? What do you believe to be the confining your witness to the Lord, your confining your service to him? See the window of opportunity now for the spreading of the gospel. Don't wait. Be filled with the passion for the advancing of the gospel, and we just might be surprised the opportunities that are open to us. Secondly, gospel is advancing among the church. Not only among the captors, among the church. Again, we see that Paul is not preoccupied with his predicament, but his preoccupation is with the church. Paul is a joyful servant, an optimistic prisoner. In verse 14, follow along. Verse 14 says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. There is a fresh outbreak of evangelism here. Paul's example put courage into them. We all need some fresh boldness. We do. I do. Sharing the gospel always requires courage. I mean, you can talk about politics and really not need much courage. You can talk about your favorite sports team and not need much courage. You can talk about news events and community happenings and school board decisions and not need a whole lot of courage. But when a conversation turns to spiritual things, suddenly everything inside of you wants to do what? Run. We start to fear rejection. We start to get cowardly. God, what will they think of me after this? We all need more boldness and courage when it comes to sharing our faith. And we can inspire each other because if you're like me, when it comes to opening our mouths about Christ, we can so easily freeze. We need to put courage into each other by sharing opportunities we have to spread the gospel. That's what's going on here. I'm inspired. I'm inspired when I hear one of you while in the hospital are sharing your faith, and you have done that. And I hear about that, and it inspires me. I am inspired when I read that that while undergoing some hardship or loss in your life, you're speaking of the Lord. I'm inspired by that. I trust my example here might inspire you. While our family sat in one room with my dad in his final days, We had moments of of, of praying together as a family. It's about 15 or so of us in the room. We had moments of reading scripture together and, and, and just singing. Our focus 
was on spending dad's final moments praising God as a family and bringing comfort to my dad as we can only guess he was hearing every word. Oh, he was singing. It was an amazing thing. There was a nurse who was listening to us also. We didn't know that. I was totally oblivious to everybody else. My attention was elsewhere. There was a nurse who was listening to us also, and she made a point to tell us how lovely it sounded. Now, I don't think it really sounded that lovely musically. <laughs> she was touched by it, though. She was touched by it. See, we can have our best witness in our worst circumstances. Blank wall, window of opportunity. There was a shoe manufacturer... A shoe manufacturer decided to open the Congo market, and so he sent two salesmen to some undeveloped territory. One salesman, as he reached this undeveloped territory, looked things over, and he reported back, prospect here, nil. No one even wears shoes. (laughs) The second salesman looked over the situation. He reported back enthusiastically, market potential is terrific. Everyone's barefooted. (laughs) Perspective. Perspective. We can look at our times and we can conclude these are the worst of times. Everyone is pagan. Or we can look at our situation and declare, great, these are the best of times. Everyone needs Jesus. Our passion for the advance of the gospel makes all the difference when we suffer trials. It does. The gospel advanced among the captors. The gospel advanced among the church. Thirdly, we see the gospel advanced among the critics. Go back with me again at verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God. See, not all, but most. Verse 15 then says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Most have been encouraged to speak more boldly, but some are preaching out of envy. And Paul continues to describe them in verse 17. He says, The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. And I ask, who are these guys? What are they up to? Why are they doing this? tells us their aim was to stir up trouble for Paul, as the NIV puts it in the middle of verse 17. King James translates it, to add affliction. This is why they're doing this. To add affliction to my bonds. They are the epitome of the proverbial kicking a guy while he's down. Can you imagine? Think about this. Paul's beaten. Paul is unfairly imprisoned. Paul's separated from the church he loved. Paul's not able to do what he lived for, and that was to preach Christ, strengthen the churches. And if things weren't tough enough, there were some who wanted to add to that. And it could be argued, loved ones, that these are fellow Christians because they preached Christ. Their message and method were solid. Preach Christ. It wasn't an issue of message and method. It was a problem of motives. 
Their attitude toward Paul was the issue. There were some who were sinfully motivated to build their own reputation at Paul's expense. And so while Paul wasn't able to be out and about preaching for two years, there were those who took advantage of the situation to gain some popularity and prominence. And I say to you, many are those who build their ministry on the shaky platforms of personal charm, popularity, programs, and promotion of self. And all of us need to be on guard against building ourselves up by tearing others down. And that's a little what's going on here. But we really don't have many details. You notice that? Paul doesn't get drawn into that. Notice it? He doesn't get drawn into it. There's tremendous grace in Paul's silence. He doesn't attack them. I can see him smiling behind the chains. And he says in verse 18, I love this. He says, what does it matter? What does it matter? I absolutely love that. What does it matter? Think of the stuff you get all hot and bothered about. How much of it really matters? Be honest. Think about what, you got, what got you all worked up most recently. Does it really matter? Let's do a reality check. How much of what gets you riled up inside the church and outside the church really matters? I mean, will it really matter when you step into eternity? Will it really matter? Oh, but pastor, I don't think his motives are right. What does it matter? Oh, but pastor, I think he's in it for show. What does it matter? But I think he's, he's all about boosting his own ego. What does it matter? Oh, I think he's in it all for himself. What does it matter? Oh, oh, but I think, listen, we are not to be the motive police. We are not in charge of others' motives. What does Paul say, verse 18? But what does it matter? Catch this. The important thing, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And in just in case you missed it, he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Loved ones, I don't love for you, let me say this. Let's do a better job picking our battles. Let's do a better job picking our battles. I'm speaking to myself. Let's do a better job picking our battles. There are just some things not worth the trouble and energy. Paul's not going to get all steamed up about this, and this is very personal. You notice? I mean, if this was an issue of messing with the truth and messing with the true gospel, Paul would have been all over it like white on rice, as we see in his letter to the churches in Galatia. No uncertain term, Paul calls them out. These men that Paul is referring to here were not preaching heresy. They were preaching for the wrong reasons. You see, it is possible to be doing something that is good, but our reasons for doing it are wrong. 
It is possible be, to be doing something that is good, but our reasons for doing it are wrong. And Paul is not going to chase that. He was so locked in to the mission of advancing the gospel, and he would not get sidetracked over motives. What an example. This was convicting. He's not rejoicing in their wrong motivations, but that Christ is being preached. I ask, are you able, are you able, pastor, are you able to rejoice in good results even if how others might arrive at them is different than what you prefer? Try that. Let's stop cluttering our minds with, with resentment and anger and judgmental thoughts. I mean, I mean, can you discern between what is worth your passionate pursuit and, and what is not? Do we know the difference between what is worth the trouble and what is not worth the trouble? Let's choose joy by picking our battles. I mean, if the truth's being messed with, pick that battle to fight. If the messenger or the means by which God's good purpose is being fulfilled, even if it isn't to your liking, let it go. What does it matter? Let's overlook petty things and get on task with our mission, which is advancing the gospel. That is to be our passion. That's to be our passion. For Paul, whether he was in chains or, or out of jail and, and freedom, whatever the situation, it was all about the gospel. It was all about preaching Christ. All of life revolved around this main thing. D.A. Carson put it this way. He said, put the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspiration, our own comfort, our bruised feelings, our reputations, our misunderstood motives. All of these are insignificant in comparison with the advance of the gospel. Amen to that. Our passion for the advance of the gospel makes all the difference when we suffer trials. And it's in time of testing and trials that we will discover what really matters the most to us. Advancing the gospel, our number one passion and priority, puts everything else in perspective. Like the man staring at the blank wall, Paul chose to see the unseen. The things we would call setbacks turned out to be progress. What most would call obstacles, Paul saw as opportunities. Paul laughed at the open window of opportunity. You see, we can either sit in self-pity and ask, why did this have to happen to me? Or we can see the unseen and ask, how might this result in accomplishing God's purposes? The principle here is clear. The principle here is clear. Don't spend so much time trying to change your circumstances or complain about your circumstances. Get on with the gospel. Don't spend so much time trying to change your circumstances or change others for that matter or complain about your circumstances. Get on with the gospel. And perhaps there's no other strategy for the enemy to hinder the progress of the gospel than to get believers to focus on trivial things. Listen, fixing the political mess is not the deal. It's not. Fixing our circumstances, they're not the deal. Straightening other, out, others out and their methods out is not the deal. The gospel is the deal. Our mission is not to make marriages happier. Our mission is not even to build stronger families or to fill the sanctuary with people or to have the best youth program or to provide nice little principles for navigating through life. Those are all good things, but that is not the main thing. Our mission is to preach Christ. Christ. 
A lot of good people with good families are going to hell. They are. They can clean it up morally and still go to hell. That's not our goal. That's not our mission. They're good things. The main thing is to advance the gospel by building up the church to the glory of God. That is what matters the most. An old story is told of a farmer who went out hunting with his hound dog. And when the farmer returned, he seemed still fresh and ready to go some more, but the dog flopped down on the porch, totally exhausted. Someone asked the farmer what was wrong with the dog and why he seemed so exhausted, and the farmer was feeling okay. And the farmer answered, well, it wasn't in the walking. We only covered five miles or so. But there wasn't a gate open along the way that the dog didn't go in and examine the whole field. Not a cat appeared, but that he had to go and chase it and, and chase all the rabbits too. And there wasn't a dog bark, but that he wore himself out barking back and showing fight. He must have gone 50 miles to my five. No, it wasn't the root that got him, but the zigzagging. It wasn't the root that got him, but the zigzagging. I suggest to you that the evangelical church today is doing a lot of zigzagging, and it's left us exhausted. 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 There are many issues crying for our attention, and they are important issues. Please hear me on that. But let's not get sidetracked by becoming so passionate about these issues that we've forgotten the main thing. Preach Christ. Preach Christ. Advance the gospel. Let's keep the main thing. The main thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful example of Paul who could rejoice in his situation because of his passion for the gospel. God, instill that in us. Stir it up in us. Fan the flame again in us that we'd be giving ourselves to the things that really matter. Forgive me for chasing things that don't really matter. Forgive me for my zigzagging. Forgive me for being passionate about the wrong things. And may I be more passionate about Jesus Christ, pursuing him and advancing the cause of Christ, the gospel of Christ, to a dying world that desperately needs to hear it. Open up windows of opportunities this day, this week, that we see them, use them, for your glory, for your praise, by your enablement. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.